Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name's Steve Lee. If you don't know who I am, I'm part of the church here. I also lead the work of Miracle Street, and I work in lots of other contexts and churches as well. So today, I want us to drop in on a story that took place in the old city of Jericho uh, in the Jordan Valley, uh, now a highly contested area known as the West Bank. And the main character of the story is a guy called Zacchaeus. There's actually two separate guys that Jesus encountered around this time, possibly in the, on the same day and certainly in the same location or very close by. His name uh, was Bartimaeus. Both of them were singled out by Jesus uh, in different ways. They were also singled out for a significant dose of abuse by the general public, but for different reasons. Bartimaeus was a beggar, uh, begging on the street. Zacchaeus was a crook. Bartimaeus was oppressed. Zacchaeus was an oppressor. And they were both singled out, as I say, by Jesus. Bartimaeus is for a different day. We're in a series of Sunday presentations here called Everyone's Invited. It's actually got a lot more to do with the message of Christ than it has a call to hospitality. Obviously, the invitation, the word invitation is something we're very familiar with. We have people in our homes. We create meals and opportunities for people to gather around us. But this is actually far more to do with the great invitation of God for us to belong, to connect, to be transformed, to die in order that we would live. That is the invitation that this whole season is about. Having said that, food does seem to feature quite a lot in these stories, and it certainly does today. I wonder why that is. Well, Jesus came into a Jewish culture, and he embraced the culture in many, many ways. And food and meals and hospitality and celebration and festivals and gathering was a very integral part to that culture. And food can be found right in the middle of it. Unsurprisingly then, Jesus often used food and eating together to demonstrate this great invitation of God. An invitation to follow Jesus, to join a community, to step out of a boat, to take the narrow road, to carry a cross, to trade everything, to inherit eternal life. The invitation for us to receive God's limitless life came at a tremendously high price. When we start to consider the gospel of Christ, the message of heaven, the invitation of God for us to be transformed to inherit eternal life, we must never lose sight that it came at a tremendously high price to God. As you look through the pages of the Old Testament and the story of the nation of Israel, you see this epic 
love affair being worked out between God and his people. This love story, this adventure where God is constantly trying to rescue a people who seemed hell-bent on going, on their, own, going their own way. And you see it through the exile, through the persecution of the prophets, through the journey of this nation of Israel where God is trying to work out his purposes as a sign to the world of what is to come. That there would be a moment that through Christ the door would be opened and forgiveness and restoration and connectedness to God would be available to all people, to all flesh. But as God worked out his purposes, as he worked out a way of forgiving sin without being seen to condone sin, it was going to cost him the life of his son. And so when we look at the message of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, it is an epic rescue. And it culminates at the cross. God's unfathomable love for us was demonstrated through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, his son. To understand the gospel of Christ, we have to understand that what Jesus did on the street and what Jesus did on the cross are integrally linked together. It's not just about his life, it is about his death, but it's not just about his death, it is the things that he did the way that he demonstrated heaven to the people that he came across. The great invitation is for us to be reconciled to a Father in heaven, regardless of our failure, regardless of our fear, regardless of our backstory or our back catalogue, and we've all got one. None of those things have ever been a problem to God. So often, we find ourselves in a situation where we are desperately trying to repair our lives, to fix ourselves in order that we feel that we are more acceptable, for God, uh, more acceptable to God. But you see, those things have never been an issue to God. The reason Jesus came was because we can't fix ourselves. Jesus came in order that we could be fixed by God. But the reason why not everyone is a Christian is because it is difficult, because we've got to come to that point of recognition that without Christ, without what Christ brings, we are desperately and profoundly lost. But when we do connect with him and we do connect with God's answer, we find ourselves being reconstructed. And Christian discipleship, the Christian life, is all about a process of being reconstructed by the hand of God. I don't know whether you consider yourself to be a good person or a bad person. We're going to drop in on a very interesting encounter that Jesus had with this guy Zacchaeus in a moment. But the only difference between good people and bad people is this. Good people do bad things but pretend that they don't. And bad people do bad things and admit it. That's the difference between a good person and a bad person. 
We've all missed the mark. We've all fallen short. But the good news for us today is that all of us are included in on this great invitation from God. I've actually been struggling with a horrendous dose of hay fever, so I have missed you and I do feel emotional seeing you all today, but that's not the reason why uh, my eyes are streaming if you see me wiping my eyes. I do get a bit emotional up here sometimes, but I've got a right old dose of hay fever. So, as we take a look at this famous account in the Bible, I want you to understand the, the kind of person Zacchaeus was and why Jesus handpicked him. I wonder what it is about people that are involved in financial services uh, that causes such a reaction. Uh, bankers, accountants, and worst of all, HMRC tax and VAT inspectors. So let's get to grips with this guy Zacchaeus by comparing him to a person that was in the news uh, only a few years ago, and here he is. Uh, this is uh, Fred Goodwin. Fred Goodwin, or Fred the Shred, as he was uh, called in the media. He was the CEO of, of RBS, Royal Bank of Scotland, at the time of its 24 billion pound collapse and he retired uh, to the French Riviera with a pension pot of 16 million pounds at the age of 50. Not bad work if you can get it. Most people, I think, whether they believe in God or whether they don't, whether they would consider themselves as Christian or not, uh, we all seem to have a concept of fairness and we all believe in consequence. We all believe that wrong things should be punished, that people should be held responsible, people should be held to account when they do things wrong, particularly when it affects other people. We don't like it, particularly in our culture, when somebody gets away with it, when somebody looks like they're having a laugh at everyone else's expense. So, let's read this passage from the Bible, and here's what happened the day that Jesus handpicked a dinner guest, and everyone else thought that it was a bad choice. It's taken from Luke's Gospel, and it's uh, in chapter 19, the first 10 verses. Here we go. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was, a sh because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has, gone to the get, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possession to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is the son of Abraham. 
the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Did you notice that Jesus shouted out Zacchaeus? So it seems that he knew his name. But as we are going to find out, he also had his number as well. He knew pretty much what had gone on in this guy's life. Zacchaeus, the name Zacchaeus, actually means pure. That's interesting, isn't it? Names are very powerful. Perhaps like me, you didn't um, exactly come from Christian royalty. Uh, it's quite interesting when we did that exercise a moment ago and we got, uh, uh, was it Marion? I, I was so caught in the moment. I think Marion said if you were uh, a first-generation Christian, i.e. you didn't come from a Christian family and I was waving my hand at the front there because I absolutely didn't. Although um, a few years ago I had the privilege of leading my father to Christ. Um, um, my dad uh, has struggled for uh, decades with alcoholism and um, it was an amazing moment when I just took him in my arms and led him to Christ and it was a bit like a sort of a reverse moment <laughs> and uh, I watched my dad just weep and weep and uh, as he looked at me in the eyes and he said all these wasted years and um, my dad still um, uh, still struggles with uh, with his issues shall we say but um, and he's not really the type of person who's going to line up outside a church in an orderly queue. Uh, but there was a profound darkness that left my father's life at that time. And uh, uh, neither of my parents were Christians. They, uh, my mother's died now, but she became a Christian as well shortly before she died. And uh, my family is now all Christian. Um, uh, so it's quite remarkable what God can do when the power of this gospel runs through a family line. And I've seen it in my own situation. <clears throat> so when, my, when I was born, my, my parents called me Stephen George. They're my two names. And uh, uh, if you look them up, both of them describe what I've actually become and what I do. So uh, names are very powerful. And the name Zacchaeus actually means pure, very interesting. Uh, Bartimaeus, the other guy, uh, Bartimaeus, or Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, uh, actually could be translated as son of filth. And we look at what he became. I don't believe that any of these things are unredeemable. God can do anything. God can run through our back catalogue. He can change our names. He can change his identity, and he does. But it is very interesting when you look behind the names that are often given to people. So... There's a crowd out this day, the crowd is big, the crowd was very big on the road when Jesus uh, 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 met Bartimaeus, it was actually Bartimaeus who called out to Jesus, but it was Jesus who called out to Zacchaeus, but the crowd is big, so it seems that this carpenter from Nazareth, this strange street rabbi, he's very popular, he's very well known, possibly word has got out that Bartimaeus has had his sight restored. Maybe that's why the crowd is gathering around Jesus at the time where he calls Bartimaeus. So we have this kind of strange moment where uh, Zacchaeus climbs a tree uh, in order to see Jesus. And uh, 
And, and there he is balancing up there on a branch with all the grace of a circus clown. It's very uh, comical, you know, some of these moments. Don't let anyone ever tell you that there's no comedy in the Bible. Uh, so, you know, I, I often try to imagine these situations. I mean, I'm, I'm a storyteller, but I love to live in a story. And when I kind of sort of try to get to grips with these amazing accounts, and I'm very familiar with most of them, um, it's the way that I communicate the gospel to the people that I get to speak to. Uh, I often try to step inside these stories and imagine uh, what the atmosphere was like and the central characters, how they are behaving and interacting with one another. And, and I, I think, you know, seeing, you know, a tax man possibly in some kind of business suit or whatever the first century equivalent of that was would suggest that, you know, Jesus didn't actually need um, supernatural knowledge on that day to get the measure of what was going on here. You know, it's rather an unusual situation to see a man like him who's wealthy, successful, uh, uh, climbing a tree, uh, a little unusual to say the least. But, but what we do know from the story, what we can clearly make out is that there's tension on the street uh, around this guy. Uh, the, the reason is obvious. He, he's a tax collector. Um, actually, he's a tax creator. Uh, that's probably more what he is. He's a rip-off merchant of significant proportions. Uh, so what's going on? Well, basically Zacchaeus is he's, he's profiting from the Roman occupation of the Jewish lands at the expense of the people. In other words, Zacchaeus is treading on the downtrodden. That's what he's about. That's what his life is all about. He's treading on, he's treading on the people who are already marginalized, like Bartimaeus, perhaps. But regardless of how society judges an individual, there's always a story behind the face. Have you noticed that? However somebody may be boxed by what people think, how people define them, there is always a more profound explanation to what has gone on in that person's life. Maybe Zacchaeus and Bartimaeus were not that different after all. They certainly looked different on the outside, but possibly they were both victims. Possibly they were both people who had become victims of their circumstances. We don't really know that for sure, but certainly Jesus identified Zacchaeus. He handpicked him. I guess there was a reason for that. But Zacchaeus was someone who was despised. And just like the, the prostitute who came to meet Jesus and the crazed nutcase that Jesus set free after crossing the lake with his disciples, if you know that story. Zacchaeus has become the communal scapegoat for the town. He's the person that everybody's anger, frustration seems to be vented towards. So there's a lot of people with problems. There's, lot, there's a lot of people out on the street with dubious backgrounds for sure, but Zacchaeus seems to be the one Who's everyone's, who everyone's finger is pointing at. 
The old expression that most of us were familiar with, the heart, the, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And that's what's consistent in all of these stories around Jesus. There is a heart condition, there's a heart problem. The, the more I, I travel around and the more I sort of walk out this journey that I'm called to, the more I become aware that there is this aching void within the human heart. Something has gone badly wrong. Blaise Pascal put it like this, there is a God-shaped hole in the heart of every person. It can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled by God, made known through Jesus Christ. Let me read that again. We got it up there. Okay. There is a God-shaped hole in the heart of every person. It can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled by God, made known through Jesus Christ. The crater in the human soul. At 1.23 a.m. on Saturday the 26th of April, 1986, an accident took place. A, an explosion, a steam explosion, blew the roof off reactor building number four in the Chernobyl nuclear power station in the old Soviet Union. Within moments, lethal amounts of radioactive substances were being released into the atmosphere. The, the fallout left a trail of death across a quarter of Belarus and vast areas of the Ukraine and Russia. Millions of people, as they slept, were exposed to radiation. And it was years before scientists were fully able to evaluate the devastating effects of what happened as a result of their accident. Shortly after the explosion, it became clear to governments that vast amounts of radiation were just continuing to leak out of this building. And a decision was taken to put together a team who were volunteers, not conscripts. Volunteers, they were basically builders, and they stepped up. And their role was to go into the stricken site with what protection was available at that time, which wasn't great. And they drove bulldozers right into this site and literally filled in the crater that had been created inside the old Chernobyl nuclear power station. They were briefed. They had to sign documents. And they had to recognize that they could die in that operation, or worse, live with the horrendous implications of exposure to the radiation. The mission of Jesus on earth was a divine rescue from start to finish. These three words, I believe, sum up what Jesus came to achieve and achieved through his life, his death, and his resurrection. The three words are simply this, signpost, sacrifice, substitution. 
Let me explain what I mean by that. Jesus, through his life, through his actions, through his reactions, through his interactions, was a signpost to God. What Jesus was effectively doing was demonstrating the heart of a father towards people who were fatherless. People who were products of an orphan society and an orphan world. Part of a world, a created world that had been ripped away from the creator because of endless acts of selfishness that we have all partaken in. But Jesus was a signpost back to God, the route back to a relationship with the Father. But unfortunately, there was a price to be paid because when God's law is broken, someone has to pay. And Jesus was also a sacrifice. Jesus paid the one-off debt that was required over each one of our lives in order that the things that we have done in word, thought, and action that separate us from a God who has done none of those things, that that debt could be paid. So he was a signpost, but he was also a sacrifice, but he was a substitution. One death, the death of one man for the lives of many. That is at the very heart of the message of Jesus. Jesus was not martyred. Jesus was not murdered. Nobody could take the life of Jesus. But he chose to lay his life down in an act of eternal substitution that we could know what it is to be forgiven by God. So how do we respond? How do we respond to this great invitation that we've been talking about over these last few weeks? Well, the answer is very simple, and it's in the Bible. Two things. Believe and be baptized. That's it. That's all we have to do. We have to recognize that through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus pointed away back to heaven, but made the pathway that we could walk upon. Believing in Jesus. Being baptized is the other part of the equation. And underneath these three wooden panels, there's actually four, nice counting, uh, four wooden panels at the front here is a, a miniature swimming pool. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking who are new to this thing. Why on earth is there a miniature swimming pool at the front of a, an auditorium? Well, it's there in order that we can baptize people in the way that Jesus was baptized himself, by going into the water and coming back up out of the water as a, a, a picture, as a powerful symbolic act that is also tremendously powerful. It actually achieves what it symbolizes. When we go down into the water, we come up into new life. And that's the other part of the equation. The, the equation. You can believe this morning, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in a moment, but you can also be baptized very soon. In fact, on the 28th of April, there's an opportunity if you haven't been baptized. If you've believed but haven't been baptized, shut the deal, complete the equation. I challenge you. But you can believe today and you can be baptized immediately on the 28th. There's nothing stopping you doing that. The opportunity is there for you. Let's all pray. Father, thank you for the Zacchaeuses of this world. People who had a backstory. People whose lives had not been what they could have been. 
thank you that he is a tremendous example of someone who offered everything in return for what was being presented before him an opportunity to receive Christ Lord I pray for every person here today and particularly those who have yet to make a decision to follow Jesus to allow the forgiveness of Jesus to invade their lives to allow the touch of heaven to be upon their lives Lord, I pray for them that even in these moments, Lord, that you would be speaking into their hearts. Lord, but for each one of us, Lord, we pray that we would go deeper and deeper and deeper into the knowledge of Christ, receiving more of your Spirit's transforming power in our lives to heal us of our brokenness, to bring life where there is death. Lord, thank you for the great invitation to be transformed by Jesus. If you have never taken that opportunity to say yes to God, to say yes to Jesus and the gift that is being offered to you, let me give you an opportunity to do that right now. Let me pray a prayer that you can repeat on the inside to make it your own prayer. And at the end of that, I challenge you to go to one of the connect points and pick up some information about Alpha that is taking place this Tuesday evening and some information that will help to point you in the right direction. Here's the prayer. My Father, thank you that you love me, that you made a way for me that you sent your son Jesus to live and die and to rise from the dead that I could be forgiven that I could be reborn and I could inherit eternal life I ask you to come into my life today by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit that I would be reborn and that my slate would be wiped clean with the blood of Jesus I receive your forgiveness today and I choose to follow you